the test. Amen. You're up to the test. You can meet every challenge that comes to you in life with your faith. And the one thing you need to know is that your faith must be tested. It's got to be tested for a number of reasons. Uh, number one is that you have to know how faith works. When you think about it, we are born again, but we are born into a new life, into a new kingdom, into a new system of government that has its own rules and regulations. Uh, you know, in, in uh, the world, there's almost no rules anymore. Anything that you want to do is allowable uh, in certain groups of individuals. But in God's kingdom, his rules are designed for holy living. Amen. He said, you shall be holy because I am holy. And if we're children of the most high God, we have to imitate our father. And when we say imitate, that means to really be like him, not just act like it. But really be like him, to be led by the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is nudging you to do certain things, it's because that is the holy thing to do. Amen. It's the righteous thing to do. It's the thing that you're supposed to do because Christ lives in you. And so we we are being compelled to live holy for God, and that puts us in training. Amen. And so in Luke chapter uh, 9, if you'll turn there, I thought I would share this with you because... I think it answers a lot of questions for me uh, as far as, you know, what is it that we're doing here? Uh, why is it that you just can't pray and, and stuff drop in your lap? You know, that kind of stuff. Why is there struggle? Why is there warfare? And, and that kind of thing. And so I think it part of it lies in the fact that we are are called to conform to the image of Christ. We are being molded and shaped daily into God's glorious image. And God will not fail at anything that he does. Which means that, you know, I don't care how how uh, uh, mean a little desperado he is. It, you know, sister mean-faced. <laughs> I think about um, uh, Prophet Waller. Remember his testimony about the lady that stepped on the back of his shoes when they in the choir they walked in the <laughs> In the church in the choir, you know, the choir was marching in. And she was stepping on the back of his heels. And he, he didn't like her for a long time. And so, it, you know, I, I mean, God God has a plan for Sister Mean Face, you know, just and for Prophet Waller. Amen. To, went to her funeral to make sure she was dead, you know. Amen. So... But even they are being molded and shaped into the image of Christ. Amen. So this is a this is an internal work. It's not it's not to be judged by man. Isn't that something? And it's amazing how often we get into trouble trying to judge somebody else's walk with God. Amen. But I know that God changes people. Uh, according to his his design for them, not according to whether we'll like them better, 
Because, see, God will shift him around one way, and then we say, mm, I don't like, I still don't like him. You know, so he ain't paying no attention to us and what we think about. And he commands us to love each other as, as much as we get to do e- to each other, to love each other. And so we, we are being conformed to the glorious image of Jesus Christ. Amen. You ever get somewhere and, and you think one thing about a person and you see them and a God will use them and your mind is just totally blown? It's because we ain't been thinking right. See, it, that, that in them was there all the time. We just didn't look at it and we didn't look for it, didn't look at it, and didn't appreciate it. And so it, that has taught me over the years to mind my own beeswax. You got me? And leave God alone. So uh, in Luke chapter 9, and uh, let me see. Verse 51, we'll start there. It came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into the village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. So it really wasn't them. It was his purpose was to go a different way. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, will you, that, will you allow us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them like Elijah did? Talking about judgment. But Jesus turned and rebuked them and said this, You do not know what manner of spirit you are. You have no idea what type of spirit you have on the inside of you. For the Son of Man has come to, dest- to not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And so Jesus rebukes the disciples because they are thinking. See, it's like you got holy stuff in you, but this mind up here is thinking totally carnal. You know, they, they want to flex. I always I call it bad ushering. You know, no offense to anybody that's been an usher or usher or whatever, <laughs> you know, usher, usher, whatever you want to call it, you know, no offense to that. But oftentimes people who have delegated authority can get a little arrogant in it. And, uh, you know, and I've seen it really cost people um, spiritual growth and things like that because, you know, some in some churches, ushers have no problem physically struggling with people. You understand what I'm saying? Putting hands on people and not in a kind way and being mean and, you know, just in all you all you doing is guiding people to a seat. You understand what I'm saying? Think what would happen if we gave you some real power. Just throwing no shade, but you know what I'm saying? Just 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 saying. Because people don't know what manner of spirit. Because I can tell you love will do more than aggressiveness, anger, and hate will any day of the week. And so, but the disciples aren't aware of this. All they know is get even with somebody and do something because they're feeling very powerful because they're around this man who has all this power. And see, secondhand power is a bad thing. Your power needs to come to you directly from God, and you need to learn what manner of spirit you are of 
so that you can understand what you're here for. You're not here to put people in their place all the time. Amen. You're not here to correct everybody all the time. You know, you're here to to uh, exemplify Christ. And there were many, many facets to Jesus that sometimes we don't tap into because we get fixated on one thing. And so God wants the disciples, but he knows for a fact that disciples will soon learn what kind of spirit they are of because he, this will put you through your paces. You know, the life of faith. And living a life pleasing to God will put you through your paces. So God just wants us to understand, know, and learn what type of spirit we carry on the inside of us so we can know what our calling is, what our capabilities are. And so if you're going to find out all these things, how do you think you find out what, what abilities you have? You don't just assume them and run around telling, you know, it's like when you were a kid. What do you want to be when you go, I'm going to be a doctor. Next week, I'm going to be a fireman. Next week, I'm going to be a, a soldier. I, you know, it's always something different. But God has something ordained for each and every one of us. It's called conforming to Christ's image. And while you do that, he allows you to live for him, live what on the surface looks like a very normal, average life. But it's a holy life. It's a life lived under the authority and direction of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a totally different life. And we have to learn what this life is all about. And we have to learn the capacity of your spirit. And that comes through having your faith tested. Amen. It must be put to the test of God to make sure that your faith is capable of doing the work he's ordained you to do. We think of faith, we think about getting a bill paid, getting a job, my kids got to go to college, getting all that. But when you get all that done, what you going to do next? See, there's still the life of faith that's lived every single day that our personal faith must take us through. And sometimes it'll take us to some, some places we never thought we would be. It will take us into some areas we thought uh, were for other people and not for us. And so this life of faith can be, if you learn how to live it for God and you learn how to, to handle things in the right way, it can be the best life ever. Because I guarantee you, the little list of plans that you had for your life gets boring quick. Huh? And all the married people said, huh? you run after somebody, run after somebody, run after somebody, finally tackled a brother. Hog tie him, get dad to pull the rifle on him, and get him to the altar. It's called love. <laughs> Thank all love. Huh? <laughs> and and you know we we wind up in life, and these things that we thought were just so important. Oh, I'll just die. Huh? <laughs> the girl wants a ring in a, a marriage, and, and the guy wants—he just want to have fun. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna say I'm not—I'm gonna say what I don't normally say. Huh? Right. And so we have to understand that the things that we pin all our hopes for all of our happiness on, if they're not holy things. 
talking about knowing what manner of spirit you are. See, if you know what manner of spirit you are, you'll know that one thing will never satisfy somebody who has the life of Christ on the inside of them. Because Jesus ministered, preached, taught, healed. He was a brother. He was a son. Amen. He was a cousin. He was a friend. He had a very well-rounded life, but his life was centered on this spiritual force that was driving him on the inside of him to get him to live a life that the Father approved of. And this is what we have to keep in mind. You are called to live a life, and I am called to live a life that the Father approves of. And it has to fall in line with his plan for us. We just can't random decide we want to do something and expect God to co-sign it and go through life doing that. What are you going to do about the desire that's in you to win souls? What are you going to do about the desire that's in you to help humanity? What are you going to do about the gifts that God put inside of you that are, are service gifts, that are gifts that are called to minister to others? It's that you'll find out very quickly it's not about you. Because once you get into this life in God, you try to go back to the self life. Try to go back to the me life. And see if you don't get bored quickly and you'll be looking for the next sinner that you can give a track to or pass out something to. I have a friend on Facebook, a gentleman, he's 72 years old, every single, he lives in Las Vegas. Now tell me he's not busy all the time. But every single day at, at sundown, he goes out and he passes out tracks in front of the casinos and in front of those uh, places where it's a bunch of people. And he just he says, so you pray for me, I'm going out tonight doing so and so and so. At 72 years old. That spirit that's inside of him is telling him, these people need the Lord. Go out and do something about it. Amen. And so when we start understanding what's inside of us, the, the, these abilities, these gifts, the callings, all of those things that God has in store for us, we'll start to expand our view of who we are. We won't be like the disciples. Want to just take authority and, and blast people and get them out of the way so we can go through and, and be a big deal. Well, there are people that live their Christian lives like that. Because you see it here, the disciples did it, somebody else is doing it. But Jesus said, uh-uh, back up off of that. He said, that is not who you are, that's not what I called you to do, and that's not going to be the work that you're called to. And so we are destined to be conformed to his image. Romans 8.29 tells us that. There's something that we all attain to, and that is his glorious image, which means we are, are the life of faith is more for us to be transformed, and there's a purpose for the transformation. This isn't you just, you know, taking on Christ and there's no purpose to it. There is a purpose to everything that God does. Number one, God wants us to be content in life. If, if we, if God has, wants us over here and we're over here, we're not going to be content. The only time we, the only place we will be content is when we're in the will of God. So what you're doing over here, what God wants over there, one of them's got to be dropped. And you've got to find in yourself a place of satisfaction, not not just caving in and being upset about it, 
but a place of satisfaction that you are doing the will of God. If you keep in mind, I am here to do the will of God. What did Jesus say? Every time it was tough, when the disciples would, would talk about, you know, this is going bad and that's going bad, you can't do this. I said, I must do the will of him who sent me and, and finish the work. And so there's a work that everybody here is called to do, and we must finish that work. That work is easier to do when you're in God and when you're in Christ. I don't care what you're called to do. Uh, it's easier when you can do it under God's direction and, and under his power and in his pace. He paces you through life. So that you're not trying to breeze through everything real fast and get burnt out and then don't know what to do. But he also wants us to work with him, learn about him, relate to him on the way to getting where we think we're supposed to be going. And and learn how to live a contented life. I can remember when I was younger, I was in school, I was working, I was doing 12 million things at one time and just totally burnt myself out. And and then one day God told me, he said, do you know that I love you if you don't do anything all day long? I had to take some days where I sat nervously not doing anything with my mind telling me you need to be doing this. You ought to be doing that. You I still do that sometimes. But I've learned how to not be led by that voice that's pushing me to do something that's not productive. And I thought to myself, I said, God, do you know this kingdom that you have is totally different from the world? And that's why I tell people, especially young people, don't get caught up in this, this, you know, hamster thing or gerbil thing, just going around or getting nowhere. Take yourself out of the loop for a minute and go and sit and meditate with God. Think about what he what's what what is inside of me, Lord. I got to know about the treasure that is within. You know, we read all these scriptures about we are the righteousness of God in Christ. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the excellency of the power. And you go, what power? Because you feel powerless. You feel, oh, my goodness, I don't know. What, <laughs> what, what, what are you talking about? Who are you talking about here? You understand what I'm saying? But there is excellent power within us. And that excellent power is there for a purpose. And it's a holy purpose. And that purpose is only revealed to us. As we allow God to transform us. And the best way to get your transformation is through the exercise of your faith. There are two ways to do everything. You can do things in the spirit or you can do them in the flesh. I suggest the spirit because it's going to pay off. As where God is, it's going to work. And it's going to advance you as far as your life with god is concerned you will get somewhere if you do things by the spirit amen god wants to help us to generate life from within you know what i mean when i say that that as you begin to everything that you need for life really is already inside of you You've got vision in there. You've got gifts in there. You've got hope in there. You've got encouragement. In you can be a self-encourager. And amen. And that's the best way to be because the devil will get you hooked on other people's encouragement. Amen. He likes doing that. If people come around you and flatter you and, you know, all that look crazy stuff and see if they can, they can, as they say, turn your head, mess your head up, blow your mind, all of the above. Amen. 
And so if it's best to stay within where God is and start drawing from the treasure that's within you. The reason it's called treasure is because it is highly valuable and it's indescribable. So if God told you everything that was in you, you want to start picking with him about it. So he just calls it treasure. Amen. Now work with that. Uh. <laughs> Amen. He knows, hey, he knows folk. He knows people. He knows what, you know, we'll mess with, you know, we'll mess with stuff to death. You know, that's why he sometimes says, just go out there and I'll tell you what to do when you get there. You know, take the first step first. I can't tell you step two because you ain't take, taking step one yet. Huh? You want to negotiate before you take step one. So he'd never get us to do anything. But we have a comfort and an assurance of his abiding presence. And we have to learn that that is all we need. All you need is God's signature that he's with you. You need his assurance. You need his comfort. You need his presence. And once you have that, you've got everything. It doesn't matter what circumstance you're in, where you're going, what you're doing for God, where you're headed to. As long as you know he's like Moses said, he said, God, I'm not going nowhere if you don't go with me. Amen. You want that. Amen. Amen. So so that's conforming to the image of Christ. That's what Jesus would say. That's what he desired, that the father would be with him at all times. So we are destined to be conformed to his image. Every day that you live for God, you're being shaped on the inside. Amen. I know we all got rough edges, but they'll eventually smooth out. Trust me. We don't all stay the same way forever. We are, there are changes being made on the inside. So we have to appreciate the inside um, in ourselves and in one another much more than we do the outer that we see. So, amen. So we're attaining to his glorious image, which means that we are being changed. The old things are being shed away, man. Uh, we, we shed them at the pace God sets for us. Now, if we get stubborn and want to stay somewhere because we like playing in the mud, he'll let us suffer through it. But at the end, you'll know why you're there, where you stepped off wrong, and you know how to get right. You understand me? You will know those things because God does not keep things from us. He doesn't keep things from his people. He lets us know exactly what's going on in our lives. Galatians 4:19. Paul, the apostle, said, I travail again until Christ is formed in you. So there are prayers that we can pray for one another so that the image of Christ is formed in one another. If you see a brother or sister stumble because they don't understand, you know, how to pull themselves up out of different situations. You pray and you ask God, you know, God help this person. I've been there. I know what that's like to hit that brick wall and keep bouncing off of it almost forever. So I'm, I'm asking you to help this individual like you helped me. I got out of it. They can too. And so there is a travail. There is a, a labor in the spirit that we can do to help one another to grow uh, into the image of Christ. We cannot manifest as sons and daughters of God without the exercise of our faith. In Luke 17, if you'll go there, you'll see a prayer that the disciples had, and I think we all have asked this. 
you know, you this is the question you ask when you're a new Christian and everybody dumps on you. You know, you know how that goes. <laughs> we we always got the uh, confession Nazis telling us don't say that and you know the faith Nazis telling us now don't confess that you know they, they mean well you know it's hard to talk to somebody's hard headed is determined to talk out of the natural anyway and so we feel like we're getting ganged up on or you know people in church you hurt my feelings I'm not going there anymore all that nonsense you can't live like that you're going to have to grow. You're going to have to come out of out of this and, and get into the realm of the spirit where you can understand who you are. And so the body of Christ, we're good at a lot of things, but sometimes we don't do such a good job, but we don't get indicted for it. We're all trying to do the best we can to make each other grow, help each other grow, allow each other. You know, when Jesus pulled Lazarus out of the tomb, he called him out. But Lazarus couldn't move. Huh? Why? Why didn't he get up get up and get himself out of his tomb? He was wrapped up like a mummy. He's mummified. And that's really the way we all are when we first saved. Don't know what to go where to go, what to do, don't know what church to go to, and somehow we find our way. How'd you find your way? The body of Christ unwrapped your grave clothes. See, that's what we're called to do for one another, unwrap grave clothes off one another. Sometimes you got to do it with a little scissors, and you might prick a little flesh underneath there. Huh? Hurts a little bit sometimes to have that stuff we used to do snatched off of us. Amen? We don't know if some of the flesh came off with them bandages or what happened. You know what? They came off, didn't they? Amen. And so, you know, and it frees us up to experience God. So don't over other. I don't. I don't like people who sit at home and just watch TV all the time and, and try to stay safe off television. There's an interaction. And see, it's easy to do in this day and age because we have so much information coming to us all the time. It's easy to think that you're just as mature as a person who's out getting slashed and whipped and a preacher come in with a big smile and you leave out bleeding and didn't know you got cut. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I mean, seriously. But it's all good because, you know, we're being conformed to the image of Christ. We get rid of stuff that we don't need. Amen? This is not a feel-good-in-the-flesh walk. This is a discipline so that your spirit man can live. Man, there's so much treasure in here. If our spirits would get released the way God wants them to, to function out there in, in the earth the way they're supposed to, there's a ton of treasure in us. See, I'm a releaser. I'm not a just pastor pastor. I'm a person that sees by the spirit of God what's in people. And I like releasing you into that rather than telling you don't go out and try nothing. Don't go witness. Don't go this. Don't do that. Don't go to that person's meeting. That go don't you know what I'm saying? Holding you down so that you don't grow, prosper, and flourish. Now I believe you need to be planted where God tells you to be planted so you can grow. But part of growth is exercising your gift that's with you, exercising what's in you. You got something in you that the world is waiting for. Huh? Praise God. You know, you see people in the world that that 
um, go from one tragedy to the next trying to express what's inside of them. You know, you see, I was, I watched somebody, I don't know, one of the chefs, you know, now that uh, cooking shows are very, very vogue and very in, you know, everybody wants to cook. (laughs) Lord have mercy. (laughs) Don't bring none. No, I'm not messing messing with you. (laughs) They got HelloFresh where they send a box to your house and pray you can read. And you got some utensils in your kitchen so you can cook something. You understand what I'm saying? But uh, (laughs) you know what I'm saying. But I was listening to one of the, it was a chef, I think it might have been somebody like the age of Emerald. And he said, you know, I'm at, I'm almost at the end of my life. He said, I'm finally content. And he was saying how he, he had a relationship finally with his daughter who's an adult he said, we get along so well. He said, I don't know why the early years I spent not being a dad to her. He said, but I just realized maybe I was just called to be a father at this age. Yeah. Now, see, that's not true. Because God had a better plan for him. But because of something in him called a gift for cooking, yeah. drove him here, drove him there. In a marriage where the wife doesn't understand what's inside of him, happens a lot, folks, and, and put a stop to it, you know, don't keep doing this because you got to feed the kids, you know, that kind of stuff, and ended in divorce. Here we go with heartbroken, you know, bad fruit, a string of bad fruit in your life, all this kind of stuff does not have to be. Because if God put a gift in you, that gift is not called to destroy your life, it's called to enhance your life. It's called to be a blessing to your life. So anytime God puts something in you, you have to make him the custodian of it and the author and finisher of it, or it will be one disaster after another. Many times we are in an age now where women talk about men being jealous of of their independence. (laughs) Now, if they're that jealous, they just go gay. I'm going to be honest with you. Are we all grown in here? Nobody jealous of you. That's in your head. Huh? People like certain comfort comfort things. They want relationship. It's called we get along. We don't fight each other. You understand what I'm saying? That's usually what will mess anything up. But keep telling your head that somebody jealous of you because you, you know, got what you call a career. I don't care, y'all. I preach to myself. Uh, But that person is not your enemy. God didn't put a spouse in your life to fight with you. That person is there to help and support you if you learn how to get along. Value the treasure that is within each of you and devote it over to the Lord. You'll learn how to get along. Some people get along very well and they look like mismatches to everybody else. But there's peace and harmony in their lives. They got food on the table, a little money in the bank, running cars, all that kind of stuff. Why? They've given it over to the Lord. They've given the treasure over to him so that he can manage it, so that it won't destroy you. It will be a help to you. You got me? You look at people in entertainment. They go through three or four spouses if they get married. 
you know, a lot of depends on what area you're talking about. Baby mama drama everywhere, you know, and that kind of stuff. And and their lives are a wreck. But they have money in the bank because they learn how to work this little gift that makes them popular. And to me, it's not worth it. Because God will let you have everything. He will let you have a good career. He'll let you have peace and harmony at home. Your gift will come forth and bless humanity and it won't destroy you in the process. And so we do not know what manner of spirit we are, folks, until God gets a hold of us and begins to teach us and train us. But we are trained through the exercise of our faith. So y'all found Luke 17. I talked, thought I said Luke 17 verse 5. The apostles said to him, Lord, increase our faith. Jesus was talking about forgiveness. And they jumped the subject and said increase our faith. <laughs> and that's typical. Whenever God puts the ball in your court and teaches you your responsibility to do certain things, you like change the subject. Uh, oh yeah i know what you're talking about you jump the subject and and that's what you you know it's common when when he talked about internal working things your heart condition whether it's pure toward god or not whether you can humble yourself to other people or not everybody wants to jump the subject but this really is the essence of christianity forgiveness is always the defining point. That's the, the Calvary moment, the pivotal point in everybody's life. That's what keeps you on God's side or against him. Is your ability to forgive others as he wants you to forgive them and as you have been forgiven. And so the apostles said to him, Lord, increase our faith. And he said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say to this sycamore tree, be plucked up by the root and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And it would obey you. And it would obey you. And he gives the parable about the servant. He said, which one of you, if you got a servant, would come in? And, and, well, let me read it because it says, which one of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say to him by and by when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet and will not rather say to him, make ready my dinner because you are my servant. In other words, you don't flip over. If somebody's a servant, they're your servant all the time. They've been working in the field, and they come in there to make your supper, not you do the other way around. Well, in the same way, he is giving this parable here because he says your faith serves you in the same way. So your faith serves you nonstop. And so when we get to understand that faith is given to us to serve our needs in life, amen, amen. Because that's what faith is commanded to do. It's commanded to help us and serve us throughout our lifetime. That's why it's so important for your faith to be tried and tested to make sure it's up to snuff. Make sure it can handle the load. Make sure it can do what it's supposed to do. And so when he talks about increase our faith... Jesus tells them about the mustard seed. Now, a seed cannot remove a tree. We know that. 
So Jesus must be used in a metaphor to explain the relationship between beginning faith and the faith that moves mountains or can uproot a tree. So when your faith is first used, it is a seed. But once it's spoken, exercised, whatever you do to plant your faith, and it starts usually in the realm of speaking. It starts in prayer. So once you pray for something, like for instance, you pray for a a job or you want a promotion or you want an increase if you're working already, and you plant that seed, Lord, I desire an increase in pay. And you might even give some details. Lord, I want the kind of job where, you know, it'll be an improvement. Usually it's an improvement upon what we have now. You know, I want to be able to have some time where I can relax and, and not have to go nonstop with a phone ringing all day long and answering the customers, et cetera, et cetera. I want it a lighter, easier burden for me in the workplace plus an increase. My thing is be honest before God. Don't ever think it's too much to ask. Because if he put it in your heart, if your heart is yielded to God, that's the right thing to ask for. Did you know most things that we ask for, God already has put it in there and has given us the, the will to have it and the desire for it? These things just don't come out of nowhere. They are planted in there. You've got to trust the Holy Spirit. And the little bit of word we do, <laughs> you know, I ain't going to say, you know, what you do takes. You know what I'm saying? I'll, you know, you don't have to be in the word 24-7 because nobody's going to do that anyway. But open your heart up to receive the word that you hear. And then something starts to grow on the inside of you. A desire for different things starts to grow on the inside of you. A desire, you say something, you know, for some reason, I just believe God is telling me so and so and such and such. And it might be something totally foreign from any idea you've had before. Well, that didn't just come out of nowhere. And it doesn't come from our imagination. These things come from the holiness that is within us, the Christ living in us, that is God. I can remember one day thinking to myself, I said, God, you know, you had these fits of, I love Jesus. You know, we've all been there. You sit there and you've been thinking about what your life was before and now you've met the Lord. And, and I said, God, I said, I don't know. I see you've done so much for me. I said, how can people repay you for these things? I said, I, there was no way I could have got my life straightened out. The mess. I didn't even know I was messed up. I thought I was cool. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they say finding out the problem is 90% of the solution. When you find out you ain't cool, you almost there. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and I thought, I said, God, I don't care. I said, give me something to do for you. I don't care what it is. I said, I don't care where I have to go. I don't care what I do. I'll do anything. I don't care, God. And that was the I don't care is what releases him to be able to take you to where you are called to be. You put restrictions on that thing, man, you ain't going nowhere. I remember them prayers, too. Well, God, I'll, I'll, I'll preach or whatever you want me to do. You know, you always think it's something you can't do. I said, but just don't send me. And I had a list of places I didn't want to go. Talk to the neighbor was on the top of the list. You understand what I'm saying? I did eventually talk to the neighbor. You got me? God will get you there if you're ordained to be there. Amen. 
And so Jesus then uses this to to talk about the relationship between your faith and the obstacles or tests that it will meet throughout your life. Your faith will always meet a test. Now, why is that? Well, you know, one thing when he talks about uprooting a tree with your seed of faith, like a grain of a mustard seed, it starts out very small, but you use it against something that's established. A tree is already rooted. It's already mature. It is an established thing. It's the same thing with uh, if your children aren't being treated fairly at school. That school system is established. You got me? The schools, they, they got principals, they got teachers, they got, and here's little old you going up there trying to get some peace for your child, some resolution. Well, if you don't use supernatural faith to get beyond all those barriers, and they're more in your mind than anything else, but you know what, you, you, can, you can prepare yourself in advance for success, which is what God wants us to have. Don't go in there fearful and doubting that it's going to get resolved. God, I'm asking you, speak to so-and-so, soften their heart, help them get understanding, help me get understanding. Let truth prevail. Because you don't know if little Johnny up there jacking people up like they say he's doing or if he's just sitting there with his hands folded waiting for his test to come. You understand what I'm saying? And so if you will open yourself up to success by allowing your faith to go before you to open the door for the things that need to be done, to help those things happen that will cause success to come, if you will allow your faith to go before you, and begin to work on the root of established things. You got me? It's kingdom against kingdom. The devil's been here messing people's heads up and stealing and killing and destroying for a long time. And he's good at it. But God sends little old you. And all you got is your little King James New Testament. Sometimes you don't even have a whole Bible yet. I've been there. As a new Christian, not knowing a whole lot, and then, you know, I know I've got to confront something that seems like a mountain mountain to me, but God says do it anyway, like David did Goliath. You understand me? He was a young boy when he slew the giant, and that wasn't his first fight. You understand me? He'd been through it before. He had some spins, and he had some success underneath him. And so you can't tell me that people who are so-called small in God or new in God can't have success and can't have experience of some kind that God has put them through to establish them in their faith. And so we want to do is we want to be established more and more. The more you you challenge the, the outer environment with your faith, the stronger your faith becomes. So Jesus said, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you can do these great things. You can uproot established things. That's what our faith is for. It's to uproot established things. You know, you'll say something like, well, dang, I didn't want to get in all this. I just want, you know, I I just want me a new car. Do you know how many devils is arrayed standing over your new car not wanting you to get it? 
they don't want you to get it because they know if a saint gets a new car, first thing they're going to do, they're going to roll up to, <laughs> to the front of the church. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm in the wrong space. It says, it says P-A-S-T-O-R, and that ain't never been your space. But now you got a new car and you get all forgetful about where you're supposed to park now. You got me? So they know you're going to roll up there and everybody going to see it. Then you say, you in the pastor's spot and the pastor say, well, praise God, you got a new car. Come on, give your testimony. Oh, that's what the devil is, is wanting to slit his throat. You got me? So before he will let you do that, get up and give your testimony and other people start praying, believing God, taking stuff from him, he'll stop you from getting it. And so what God says when he, the disciples say, increase our faith, God says, take the mustard seed that you have and work with it. Just start working with it. Well, it seems so small against such a big, just keep working with it. They say, I've got cancer. I only got so much. Keep working with it. Huh? That's what you got. That's what you need. That's what God gave you. And then in the process, he is causing you to conform to the image of his son. Now, how is, is working against a big mountain going to help me conform? Well, what did Jesus do? He went everywhere preaching, teaching, and healing and destroying the works of the devil. So you have a little destroyer of the works of the devil inside of you that wants to get loose. You've got an inner man that sees possibility when he sees giants. He don't see fear. He sees nothing but possibilities. He sees that giant got my stuff, and I want my stuff, and I don't care what it takes to get my stuff. That's what your inner man sees. So he says, if you have grain of a mustard seed, you will say. It's all in the saying, folks. It is all in the saying. What you say has a profound effect on your outcome and on the strength of your faith. A tree is established. We said that it has roots. It has a source of nourishment. It has life and it has purpose. And you got to take down all of that in order to get what you need from God and get your faith established. Jesus says, use your faith to remove something that is established. I don't care if it's illness that runs in family, poverty for generations, illiteracy, autism, perversion, addiction, whatever it is. You use your mustard seed against it and it must move. People get frustrated because they're in the natural. See, we work in the spirit and the natural at the same time. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's, it's kind of like. Praying with one eye open. Is it moved yet? Is it moved yet? Oh, you can't do that. Huh? We walk by faith, not by. That means you can't peek. You can't be dying for God. Just give me a little. Remember that scripture we found in the Psalms along that. Give me a token for good. God will throw you one, but you still got to wait. <laughs> you get a token for good, but you still got to wait for your answer. You got to wait till your faith is fully developed. 
You got me? There are certain things that will not come to maturity until your faith is mature enough to move them into your life. You don't want to get promises that are on life support. They may never come off. You got me? You'll be taking care of that thing forever. You know, you people die for, I just got to have a, a, a certain certain kind of car. You know, and it's half your paycheck. And God is telling you, no, if you will wait for God, he'll get, you think God cares what kind of car you drive? But you should care what it's going to cost you. Because we don't know what manner of spirit we are. And we don't know how to use our faith. But we just know we want stuff. More stuff I can get. The happier we think we're going to be. When actually... The more stuff that's delayed, the stronger you get and the more content you are in God. Norval Hayes used to say that. He said, he said I'm going to tell you something. You Christians ain't going to like me for this. He said, but the longer it takes to receive what you're praying for, the better it is for you. The better it is for you. At least you can say, I went another day saved and I didn't backslide. <laughs> Oh, okay, that didn't go over big. <laughs> Have you heard the one about the rabbi, the priest? Whatever, I don't know. What y'all want? What y'all want to hear? What you want? <laughs> Turn to Mark 11, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11. We'll look at this for a, a little bit. Jesus curses a fig tree in verse uh, 20 or 21, I think. Uh, And and so when they go, uh, um, the next day, they're shocked, shocked that the fig tree is withered up and dead already. Now, they've known trees to die, but it takes a long time. They die at the roots first. And then you see it on the outside. But this is just 24 hours. And and the fig tree is already withered and dead. And so they say to Jesus, they're they're amazed and and say to him, oh, look, that that thing's withered already. But really, he cursed the fig tree the day before. And it died right then. It was dead when he spoke. That's the way a lot of things are in our lives. The minute you start speaking to cancer, it dies a little bit. You take God's authority, you use your faith that's in your spirit, man. You don't know what spirit type of spirit you are of. You find it once your faith gets tested. You find out what your spirit man can do. Huh? That's the only way you find out. You got to exercise your faith. And so it, that thing was dead when Jesus spoke to it. It just became dead in a visible form. Now, see, disciples are in the spirit with him, but they jump out. In and out, in and out. If you stay in there, you'd have known it was dead when he talked to it. The reason you're just finding it out is because you're in the flesh. So you got to see what the results of your faith are. 
See, if we get out of the flesh and stay in the spirit, we know what our faith is doing at all times. You'd have a confidence in God. You'd have a confidence that this he cannot lie. It's impossible for him to lie. He's not a man that he should lie. And once he makes up his mind about something, he doesn't change it. He changes for the sake of greater mercy, not to take something away from you that you've had your heart set on. Do you hear what I said? He changes his mind for the sake of greater mercy. When David numbered the the children of Israel and and God sent a plague, the death angel came and and slew 70,000 men in one day. And then God told the death angel, stop, that's enough. I'm not going to kill any more people. For the sake of mercy, he changed. When Hezekiah, he told Hezekiah, he's a dead man. You done shot off your mouth and all these people. You, if you could see the demons is coming for you and the kings and everybody want to come and take all this stuff. You done bragged about everything, you know, all the gold and silver. It ain't yours. It's mine. You up here bragging about it. He said, you's a dead man. Hezekiah said, God, let me talk to you for a minute. <laughs> Turned his face away from the prophet that just pronounced the death sentence and went talk to God. And the essence of what he said, God, you can't kill me. Remember the good I did? I can do some more if I stay alive. You shoot your best shot. When it's life and death, you shoot your best shot. You got me? And before the prophet got out the gate, I don't know if the gate was two days away or ten minutes away. Before he got out the gate, he, God told him, turn around and tell him I've added 15 years. And see, Hezekiah knew how to live in God. It's not 15 years of being sick and barely making it, you know, a worthless life. It's six, 15 years on his feet, fully functioning and being king again on his throne. You got me? You get fully reinstated in the mercy of God. You got me? Sometimes that's all God wants out of people is a commitment to do good. Huh? You think about people been on deathbeds and got up and started serving God nonstop. They did more in the final few years they had left in God than they did all them years before. They didn't all of a sudden get highly motivated. They just made up their minds to start living sincerely for God and understand, hey, I got to keep moving. I'm out running the devil down here. You know what I'm saying? You got to live like that. You've got to live like that. So the 24-hour period that Jesus took between the time that he spoke to that tree and the time it showed signs, visible signs of death, is a testing period. And we all go through that. We pray, we speak the word, we declare what God's going to do, we do all of these things, and then there's a testing period there to see if we really do believe what we just said. Where is your faith? Is it in God? If your faith is in God, then you really believe what you just said. The devil will come to you later and in, in after you say it. Huh? You ever notice once you you set your heart to ask God for something, 
The devil don't even show up. Hmm? We can all pray. I didn't heard some of y'all prayer. Shooting your mouth out. God, I thank you for this. I said, oh, Lord. I want to live in your garage for five minutes. You know, you getting all that coming up in there and bold and asking God for it and can't. Oh. Why? Because prayer is a sacred and a holy relationship. Once you worship God and thank him for being there and plead the blood and God forgive me of my sins and righteousness comes right in. The devil, the devil ain't invited. He's not invited. God's a sovereign God. You ask him first, he'll show up first. And the devil is left out. Huh? He is. So you can trust what you're speaking in your prayer closet or in your spirit, in your desire to see God do good in your life. You can trust the prayers that you're praying, especially if they line up with God's word. That's what you got to do. Your safety net is the word of God. And once you find out what God's word promises you, you begin to ask and seek for those things. Then once you speak that, there is a waiting period. And it's different for everybody, and it's different for every situation. Why is it different? Because if it was the same, we'd cheat. Oh, oh Miss Pat got her answer in five days. Well, I know it's going to be five days. I get married. I get married. It's different for every person in every situation. Listen. You're going to be waiting for something. God is not Santa Claus. He don't come with a sack full of nothing to put un- under your chimney. You're going, to, you're going to make it through this, and you're going to conform to the image of Christ in the meantime. You got me? He's got a twofold purpose. You know, the longer sometimes you wait for things, the greater your trust of God is and your patience with things in life are. See, we're so busy looking at what we want as though we lack anything. See, you can convince yourself to be a person who lacks things just by continually being discontented about where you are right now. See, you don't want to get yourself into this this, uh, false lack mentality. Where you're dying for this and dying for that and upset if you don't have this and upset if you don't have that. You might as well get glad. That's what my mother used to tell me. She said, you mad? Well, you better get, get glad real quick up in here. You understand? She said like she said something else. Those of y'all who know, know. Huh? But that was mama. And you knew what that meant. Huh? Just get up out of my face and straighten up because it ain't coming like you think it's coming. Amen? And so we have to respect the waiting period. When I say respect, I mean don't complain. Complaining only plucks up the seed that you're already planted. Mm-hmm. That'll delay it for sure. Why would you complain? God's already given it to you. You're just talking for nothing. Huh? We do it sometimes trying to sound important, you know. I'm waiting for this and that. I don't know why it's taking so long. I do. Shut your mouth. Just begin to worship God, thank God, praise him for what he's doing, and it'll come to pass. Those are my favorite words in the Bible. When you read, especially, you know, and it came to pass. Amen. And it came to pass. God always brings it to pass. 
So we say the fig tree was already cursed the day before. It started showing signs of death after 24 hours. So that was the waiting period or the testing period for the disciples. Now, Jesus wasn't under any test. He had the spirit without measure. So he had access. He knew his stuff was going to come to pass, and he knew when it was going to come to pass. So for the sake of the people he teaches, we see these things. It could have died right there on the spot when he spoke. But this was what they call teachable moment, you know, where, where he gets to teach them something about faith. And he teaches them in Mark eleven twenty two. Jesus answering, they, Peter calling to remember, said to him, Master, behold, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. Now, Peter likes to be the A student all the time. You know, he's going he to try to sound spiritual when he don't understand nothing. And Jesus answering said to them, have faith in God. In other words, Jesus is saying, my faith is in the Father. Not in me and my words and anything. You, you hear me? Have faith in God. Put your trust in God. Put your faith over in God. Don't put your faith in your faith kind of thing. You know, people try to wiggle all kinds of wrong understanding. Your faith is in God. Once it's in God, then he'll bring it to pass in due season when it's due. Amen. And not before it's due. If you get it when it's due, you'll enjoy it better. Just put it to you that way. You get it when it's due. It won't be an anchor and a weight to you. It won't be something that um, uh, costs you forever. You know, some some people pay for things forever. You know, just because we say, well, one mistake. You know, you're forgiven and all that, but then there's fruit to bear out of our our behavior, and so we have to be careful about those things and so when we we start uh, uh, putting it together there is a waiting period and the testing was for the disciples the testing is for the disciples it's not for jesus and it was to allow them to see the power of their words if they put their faith in god so he says have faith in god for truly i say to you whosoever shall say to this mountain be removed and be cast into the sea shall not doubt in his heart but believe that those things will come to pass he can have what he says so what jesus is saying is the faith that's in you that treasure that's in you that faith that you use and you plant it like a seed against a huge problem against a big mountain When you plant that seed against a big mountain, that mountain will fall if you continue to believe it will happen. Problem is, in the testing period, many people walk away from their promise. They get with I'm tired. The body of Christ is full of tired folks. Tired of this, tired of that. You're not tired, you're just in the flesh. Your spirit, man, is full of energy and full of understanding and full of uh, anticipation that he wants to see it happen. So he's constantly nudging you, telling you, let's get with it. Let's keep it going. Don't say that. Why'd you say that? Now, here we go again. Stop that. Amen. 
and bring you back over to where you keep putting your confidence in God. So when we want faith to increase, like the disciples asked, we must begin to use our faith to remove established things, things that have been here for centuries. And that's what the faith of God is for, and that's what Jesus was all about. Conforming to his image entails setting things in divine order with our faith. So not only are you called to obtain things that pertain to your life, or, you know, if, you, if you're real spiritual, maybe your neighbor can get a little blessing. You know, we even get spiritual a lot. Like, well, that's, they're getting the overflow off my blessing. Well, how come they can't have some of their own? Huh, I can get my own. If I'm your neighbor, I'll be getting my own stuff. I don't need your stinking overflow. I'll take it, though. I'll take it. I'll take it. You know what I'm saying? But we over-spiritualize everything, a lot of things. You know, we need to, yeah, man, we need to stay with the, with the, with the, you know, like we the one pushing all the muscle, you know. You can live a lot real good off overflow. My dog is a little overweight. Or she's living off overflow. Huh? A lot of stuff I feed her is left over something, this or that, you know. Once a month, Miss Donna sends her her own fried chicken. And so, so we send Miss Donna a picture of us chewing our drumstick. But you know what I'm saying. Dogs live real good. Huh? The lady that had the, the daughter that was all messed up when she went to Jesus. He said, mm, it's not good to take the children's bread to give it to dogs. She said, dogs can have crumbs. You can live a long time on somebody's leftovers. huh? Look at all these homeless people. If they could get it before it gets to the dumpster, the dumpster they'd be healthier. But they live a long time just on what we discard. Amen? So, But God wants you to learn how to use your faith so that you can have much for you and abundance so that you can bless somebody else with. So Jesus wants to set things in divine order with your faith. So there's a kingdom purpose to everything we do. That's why God likes to be in total control over it. When it comes into your life, how long it takes to get it there, all of that kind of stuff. He wants divine order set up in the earth. Many times, if it takes a while, we get the urgency off of us or the edge off of us. And we learn how to be content in the promise of it. See, getting, getting God to, to promise it to you and you receive faith in your heart that it is coming is just as satisfying as having it. Harriet Tubman said that when she was, uh, you know, she got all these slaves, moved slaves forever. They said she'd pull a gun on your baby. If it cried, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? She throw the gun up the baby's nose. They give him whiskey. Now, see, I did that in the hospital as a nurse. We dip a nipple in whiskey and give it to babies. They'd be sitting up there crying, and then they say, oh. I thought so. I thought so. But a baby crying could mean the life of everybody that could be free. Huh? But she wasn't afraid of anything. Why? This treasure kept her going. 
And somebody came to her one day and told her that the slaves had been free. And she just looked at them. And, and they said, so, well, aren't you excited? Aren't you happy? She said, baby, I rejoiced about that years ago. See, her faith told her that day would come. Promise from God. See, it was more real to her than what they were saying happened in the natural. That's the way God wants us all to live. Where what's within you is more real to you than what you see out there. Ernest Angley, they used to bug him sometimes. They don't mess with him too much. He scares people to death. You know, he scares Christians, you know. But some reporters came to him and asked him, why do you talk about heaven so much? And he said, Mr. Heaven's more real to me than you are. And when he said that, something shot through them to me, and they said, okay, and they left. <laughs> That's all we wanted to ask. We just had that one question. See, they, thought they, was, they don't sit up and they didn't grill him like they do some of our so-called preachers now. You understand what I'm saying? Put you under the gun. They left right out of there. So many times we have to to uh, use our faith to set things in divine order, divine order. And your child is being negatively influenced by other children. Your faith must meet the test. I don't care what the kids are, how many drugs they take, what kind of bullies, they are, how many tattoos they have, all that kind of stuff. You're, you are to set things in divine order. You have a prayer in your heart for your children. You have a confession. You have an expectation from God of what these children are going to turn out like. You don't want them to go down hell road to get there. You want them to stay on the king's highway. You got me? And get there that way. Don't don't derail my kid. You use every weapon of warfare at, at your disposal to keep your kid in the will of God. So divine order is why we use our faith sometimes the enemy will do things like you know some of the little kids you know they're not right for your kid but you take a liking to some of them don't ease up on your prayer you can love them you can they have value just like your child has value but they're headed the wrong way and chances are they will influence your impressionable child to go the same way So you're just setting things in divine order with your faith. Amen. It's divine order. You know, you know, sometimes you've got a kid that don't don't really want to stop sleeping around or something like that. You keep praying anyway. You know, keep praying because there is a divine order for them. God wants them to live holy just like you do. Amen. Don't let your soul start dictating to your spirit and relax your hold on that answer. It's got to come in. Amen. That answer has got to come in. You hold on to the truth that God has for you and stay with it. Amen. So you've got to ask yourself, what does God want? At the beginning when I started to pray, what was it that God wanted out of me? What did he want out of the situation? Not just what you want. What does God want out of this situation? He wants you to separate from the world and separate and don't waver. And as you separate from the world, he wants you to take as many souls with you as you can. You got me? He wants them all. Christ would know the right position to take and stay with it. He didn't waver. 
The Bible says he would set his face like a flint. Amen. That means that any, you know what a flint is? It's the end of a sharp arrow or spear. That means anybody got in his way got poked. You got me? You don't let the devil divert you. Amen. I was thinking about this when we, remember we prayed for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to not come here in Cleveland. Now, see, a lot of people think, well, what's wrong with that? I'll tell you what's wrong with that. God didn't want it. I don't question him. I just do what he tells me to do. At the time we started praying, there were many people, Christians, that went around and said, Oh, you can't do that. These are, you know, I've met some people in, in, you know, the music industry and they're wonderful people. Eminem. See, this was before, this was before rappers got loose. Huh? And God, now he got 13 year old girls calling each other B's and H's and all this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. See, God knows all this stuff is coming before it even gets here. And because the seed of prayer was mingled, some did, some didn't. What we got now, we got a Hall of Fame, but they don't let the shenanigans happen here. You got me? And we have a public building where many Christian events are held, so we got a mingled response. See, the body of Christ should never be divided. You get divided on the wrong stuff, some people are going to go to hell where they could go to heaven. You understand what I'm saying? And so when you start praying, you stay with that prayer. To, to this day we pray that prayer and we don't waver. We want it out of here because God said get it out of here. And we don't question what God, he has all wisdom. You got me? And see, what's coming is worse. In the music industry. I mean, what worse could they do? It could get worse, folks. You understand me? If you're a Christian parent, you don't want your kids going, seeing Beyonce half naked. That's not, it's not for Christian women. It's not Christian woman stuff. And see, it's very common. Now, see, I know I lost part of y'all already. You know why? Because when y'all see this, you think that's everything. But see, I'm going to tell you something about this. People who survived slavery are here because of God's mercy and grace and here for divine purpose. There's so many of them rappers and so many should be preachers doing that. They need to be called in from the world into God's house and begin to do their work that God called them to do. Oral Roberts said that. He said, he said, he said, you African American preachers, he said, I'm so jealous. He said, he said, even as little children, you have a gift of oratory. He said, I've never had that. He said, I've always wished I was a better speaker. He said, but that gift is so in your people. Why you think so? Because we've been slaved, cut off, killed off, all kinds of stuff. But the survivors survive because of the gift and the calling that they carry. I remember uh, we had a, a, a mayor of Cleveland, Ralph Perk. Remember him? And somebody, a friend of mine, was there at a fundraiser, and they had a choir to sing. He would always have black church choir sing 
at events for him. And he would sit there and weep. He said, those people really love God. He said, I wish I could love God like that. You understand me? So don't tell me about how advanced we are and we walk away from that and start stripping clothes off and wiggling in front of people for a living. You understand me? You can have a you can have a gift and a and a career with dignity. And any man that'll let his wife dress like that needs his head examined. If I had come out in public like that when my husband was alive, he'd have me in a straight jacket somewhere. He said, I don't know what's wrong with her, but she lost her mind. Huh? And lost her mind. Care what you call it. You can call it entertainment if you want to. You got a voice, use it. We know you look nice, but use your voice. Huh? So. God will give us confidence. That's what he wants us to get to. When we get our faith tested, the end result is confidence. James, James 1, 2 says, count it all joy. So that's what's going to get you through the testing of your faith is joy. Is it counted all joy when you fall into all of these trials, different kinds of trials? Why? He says, because when you come out of it, You won't be the same person you were when you went in. He said, you go into it nervous and not sure and all that. He said, when you come out of this, you won't lack anything. He said, you'll be made whole. Your brain will be sound. You'll sit back and wonder, what was I upset about? Thinking about this and thinking about that and thinking about what what was bugging me? What kind of person must I have been to have been nervous and upset and thinking God wasn't going to do this for me? So you come out a totally different, confident person. Part of faith is confidence. It's the the assurance of what you hope for. When we go in with the mustard seed, we're wavering. But when we come out with the goods, we is totally sure. You understand? We know that we know that we know. And we understand God a whole lot better. And we look back and see that immature person that we were when we started. And you say, I wonder what all the fuss was about. Amen. You are changed from glory to glory by the exercise of your faith. Amen. Why don't we stop? Father, we thank you for your word and for understanding.